0: And uh, no, Pastor Rod is uh, not sick, he's doing well, um, so it's just my turn to preach today. Um, so before we begin here, let's, uh, I'm going to have Beth uh, come up here and, and read scripture for us this morning. Turn your Bibles to Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Thank you. You may be seated. Let us pray this morning. Father, we just thank you just uh, for your grace and your mercy, O Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, just for allowing us to go through this series in 2 Timothy. And uh, we just pray now that you will soften our hearts, that you will open our eyes, Lord, to the beauty of your word, to the glory of your gospel, and uh, may we just walk away uh, changed, Father, just by, by your word today, by this passage today. And we are so thankful, Lord, just for, um, just for Paul and for Timothy and, and just the teaching of your word and how it's continued on from generation to generation. Lord, be with us now today, in Jesus' name, amen. So it's an additional prayer for me this morning that we really uh, kind of look at verse 7 here real fast. Um, You know, my prayer is that the Lord will will give us understanding in everything this morning. And so, as I take you through this passage uh, today, you know, my prayer, my hope is that you think over what Paul is saying. You know, I recently completed my church history class in seminary. And to sum up what I've I've learned, uh, I basically tell you one thing. Uh, God will accomplish the spreading of his gospel no matter who stands in his way, who or what stands in his way. Time after time, suffering beyond suffering, generation after generation, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will remain. And it's amazing to think that over 2,000 years have passed and we have access to the same gospel today. There's a story in the first century about a man named Ignatius of Antioch and he was on his way to being persecuted and his thinking was I need to get the word out about my my own suffering for the gospel so he wrote a series of letters to different places about his persecution to carry and he wanted to carry on the gospel message no matter what even on his way to being persecuted that fits with our theme of 2 Timothy, as, as Rod introduced, uh, courageous Christianity, Christianity, which is a the theme of 2 Timothy. In our text today, we see the guarding and spreading of the same gospel that we have today. And so the aim or the preposition this morning is, the grace of Christ will strengthen Christians to fulfill the mission that God has entrusted to believers In suffering for the gospel. I know that's pretty long winded. Let me say that again. The grace of Christ will strengthen Christians to fulfill the mission that God has entrusted to believers in suffering for the gospel. Let's look together in chapter 2, verse 1. You'll see Paul write these words you then, or in other translations, it's you therefore. And I think some of us are familiar with that word, therefore, in in Paul's epistles. I know we've been through it a couple times. But that word, therefore, really causes us to look back. And so we look back at chapter 1, which Pastor Rod has preached on uh, the past couple weeks, and we see the calling to Timothy to be bold and courageous. You know, three times Paul writes to Timothy to not be ashamed I mean, that really is a calling for us to not be ashamed, to be courageous, especially in the times that we're living in. At the end of chapter one, we read about a general falling away, if you remember, from Phygellus and Hermogenes. However, next, we, we were given an example of loyalty in Onesiphorus. You know, Paul is essentially saying these two people did wrong, but Onosiphorus was loyal. Then we see how Paul comes comes in strong with imperatives as, as chapter 2 opens. It says therefore, or you then, my child, you Timothy, which takes us to our first point this morning. That we must be strengthened by the gospel. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Again we see the imperative here from Paul, be strengthened or in some translations be strong. However, let's not look over the words. He overlooked the words, "my child." Okay, we need to know why it's there. Paul is balancing a heavy command with a tender word for Timothy. You see, we see the tenderness in the heart of Paul because there's a tenderness in the heart of God. As a parent, I sometimes want to come across as, as authoritative in my commands, and sometimes I neglect to show the tenderness. Of our heavenly Father, which He shows us. So Paul writes to Timothy with this intimate fatherly love He has for Him, but He does it with authority. You then, my child. See, we could get caught up with an authoritative God, and He is, but we must be reminded of the fatherly love He relentlessly shows us time and time again. The first thing we see in verse 1, is that we must know the gospel. In order to be strengthened by the grace of Christ, we need to know what is, the, what is this grace that the, that the apostle Paul is referring to. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul refers to this as the gift of God which is in you. Then it continues to verse 7. God gives us a spirit not of fear, but of power. Then to verse 14 we read, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And this good deposit carries over to chapter 2. And it starts with the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This grace or power is in Christ Jesus. That's where the strength is coming from. You know, in in studying our text, it reminded me of our series on Titus. If you guys remember, we studied Titus, or the elders and I and Johnny, we went through Titus all of last year in in kind of pockets, Uh, specifically Titus 2. uh, 2, verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And then he says this word, Training. Training Christians to live a godly life. That's what the grace of Christ does. Put simply, this grace is the power of the gospel. And so we must know, in order to understand and and accept this, this power, this gospel, we must know what it is. And the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the perfect one, died for our sins and rose again, triumphant over all enemies, so that we are restored to God and can have everlasting joy in him forever. That is the gospel. The grace that is in Christ Jesus is what's going to enable Timothy to press on in the Christian life. It is grace that rekindles the flame that enables Timothy to not be ashamed, that reminds him to not fear or be timid, as we learned in chapter 1. Therefore, we as Christians, we, we should rest in this grace. And it's said so often that we must preach this grace, preach this gospel to ourselves. Jerry Bridges quotes, Or writes, to preach the gospel to yourself means that you continually face up to your own sinfulness and then flee to Jesus through faith in his shed blood and righteous life. In knowing and believing in the gospel, we see that it helps Timothy. And so the second point we see in this verse is we must be strong by the grace in Christ. The focus on the word here is really strengthened. The word "strengthen" here in the Greek is, is, is present passive. It's not a one-time occurrence. In other words, Paul is saying, Timothy, keep on being strong. Keep going. Keep on being strong. Your power comes from the grace of Christ, which is continuous. As with every believer, we receive this grace when Christ saves us. It was read today in Ephesians 2. Let me just complete it. We were saved by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's saving grace, but then we have the power of grace. In John 1, 16, it says, From his fullness we have all received what grace upon grace. Saved by grace, the grace that was freely given to us, and this grace does not stop there. James 4, 6, it says, he gives us more grace. You see, grace overflows in our life like an endless waterfall. And this is what, this is what gives Timothy that strength to press on, to be courageous, to guard the good deposit. In 1 Corinthians 15, which is the gospel passage, verse 10 but by the grace of God, I am what I. this is Paul, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. The incredible, the incredible power that Paul had was equally in Timothy. You see, Paul knew there would be times where Timothy would need to guard the good deposit where he would need to stand tall, need to fight. Therefore, he reminded Timothy of that power. And it's found in, in, in this chapter, in this book, 2 Timothy, numerous times. The gospel shows that grace is a supernatural occurrence that wrecks us for the glory of God. The gospel moves us, it stirs us to the point where pressing on in the Christian life is not merely a task but a lifestyle of grace-based endurance. So how can we remind ourselves of this grace, this power we have in Christ Jesus, to be strong? In C.J. Mahaney's book, The Cross-Center Life, he gives five simple ways to keep the flame of the gospel burning brightly in our life, and these are very practical ways. Let me just list them out for you. He says we must memorize the gospel. Memorize those scriptures that remind us of the gospel. Next, he says, pray the gospel. Since the gospel is the reason we can approach such a holy God, continue to pray the gospel as a reminder of why you can speak to such an awesome God. It is because of Christ that we have full access to God. Next, he says, sing the, sing the gospel. I love the songs this morning. Find songs or or your iTunes or CDs, if you still have them, whose focus is on the great and glorious gospel and not on man. Four, review how the gospel has changed you. Looking to your past, not for condemnation's sake, but for the reminder of his mercy and grace. Review how the gospel has changed you. Lastly, number five, Study the gospel. Don't only study books of the gospel early on the New Testament, but study the Old Testament. And see Christ's Christ's fulfillment in the Old Testament. You know, grace-based living is hard. But in order for us to endure, we must be constantly reminded of God's grace in our lives. So be continually strengthened by the grace of God gateway. So here's another amazing thing that we see in this passage. Not only does Paul say, be strong, Timothy, he gives examples. I mean, I could stand here until I'm blue in the face and say, be strong, be strong, be strong. But Paul adds something. Paul says, look, I'm not only going to tell you, I'm going to show you, and I'm going to give you examples Paul urges Timothy to be strengthened by the gospel in order that he'll be able to entrust others with the gospel. So what we read read next in verse 2 is what Paul wants Timothy to see himself as. A teacher, a good soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Which brings us to our second point this morning. Entrust others with the gospel. Verse 2, and what you have heard from me is the presence of many witnesses in trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We see four different groups or or generations here. We see Paul to Timothy, right? Then we see the many witnesses who will entrust to faithful men who will teach others also. Four different groups, four different generations. The charge to Timothy is to continue the process that Paul has started. You see, Paul envisions a process of entrusting. And we find the same word, entrust, in chapter 1. Verse 14, as I read earlier, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, as we know, that it, this is not like a keeping safe or, or bearing the good deposit. But as Pastor Rod mentioned last week, This is to guard the message of the gospel. And so the first thing that we need to do in guarding the message of the gospel is we need to be faithful and trust the faithful men. Paul's saying if you're going to be strong, if you're going to be a faithful teacher, you must be faithful in keeping the message of the gospel pure. You see, Paul knows that the end is coming near and execution awaits him. He has carried the gospel torch for many years. Now his primary objective is to make sure that it is guarded and that it's carried on to the next generation. That's his primary objective, that the gospel is guarded and it's carried on to the next generation. Therefore, we are to be faithful in guarding the word. Guarding the good deposit involves guarding the word of God. So how can we do this? Well, we need to be carefully teaching and training maybe our families, our people, so that they could continue to do it themselves. So because in guarding it, we are guarding it from false teachers. And we see many times in Scripture the warning of, of false teachers. And I'm just going to go through a list here. You don't have to turn your Bibles. I'll read it for you. But we see in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Now the Spirit... Expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, to the insecurity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. In Romans, Paul again, Romans chapter 16. Starting with verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the the naive. And Jesus in, in Matthew Matthew 7, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. Then bringing you back to our, to our book in 2 Timothy, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn and wander off into myths. You know, today we read about many churches who stray away from the Word of God. And they make it seem like they found this, this new idea in Scripture, right? Everyone comes, oh, I just found something in Scripture, which eventually leads to, to heresy. I mean, church history really is a strong indication of people trying to, to get away from the Word of God and to start teaching heresy. They, they claim to find new things, you know, I read the other day uh, that one pastor was asking for a reinterpretation of the Bible. And he said these words He says, it needs to be re- recalled and reevaluated until it no longer does harm. It's a sad, sad time. Till lo- til no does- til the Bible no longer does harm. That's what he wanted. Friends, let me tell you that the Bible is offensive. The gospel is offensive. It's going to do harm to people whose hearts are hardened. But the gospel breaks down our worldviews. But at the same time, it gives us a renewed view of Christ and his gospel. Paul saying, protect and advance the gospel. Advance this hope I have. Guard the good deposit. Guard it from false teachers. Therefore, in being faithful, we'll be able to faithfully teach, faithfully teach others, who will be able to teach others also. Paul is saying, everything that I've taught you, Timothy, up until now, I entrust to you, I entrust to faithful men. In Acts 20, verses 4 and following, there are many teachers with Paul. Paul. Actually, in verse 20, this is what he says, how, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house. Here are some things that we could understand. We need to faithfully teach ourselves, really, in learning the Bible, and learning the gospel. How does that look like? Maybe it comes through our Bible reading plan. Maybe it comes through Cornerstone on Wednesdays. Maybe it's with the women's group who, they're studying Ruth right now. Maybe it's the, the men's group when they're going through a book with from R.C. Sproul, everyone's a theologian. Maybe it's from our home groups. You know, we need to teach ourselves from this. Maybe it's, it, maybe it's from conferences that we attend. I don't know what it is, but we need to continually learn and be faith, and faithfully teach ourselves the word. We need to read good books, read gospel-centered books, In learning, we'll be able to faithfully teach others. Some of you here are already doing that in various ministries throughout the church. Maybe you're doing it in Sunday school. Maybe you're doing it in home group or small group or discipleship. Look, don't let that knowledge go to waste. I mean, the gospel should compel compel you to share it with others. The sad reality is that you know, we could sit under Pastor Rod's preaching for years and never have a desire to cultivate the teaching we've been under, to share it with others. You know, ultimately what Paul is really talking about here, or he's adding on to here, is, is, is discipleship. That's what discipleship is, is teaching. Right, Jesus' words in the Great Commission make disciples, what, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And you find the paradox here, which is just always in Paul's letters, right? In verse 2, here's what he says. He says, guard the message, guard the good deposit, Timothy, but share it. Protect the truth, keep the good deposit, but entrust it to others, Be faithful in guarding the good deposit, but faithfully teach others. Paul challenged Timothy to guard the good deposit by being strong in grace, in addition to trusting the gospel to others. And now he charges Timothy to be ready for gospel suffering. And these are the examples. This is what Paul is saying. I'm going to show you now. Sharon's suffering suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We read this, and it's like Paul saying, prepare for battle. Prepare for suffering together. Not only is Paul referencing Timothy as teacher, but he also uses the term soldier. So Timothy is to be a teacher and a soldier. So why does Paul use the word soldier here? Well, the implication here is that we are at war. In Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 13, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Our battle is a spiritual war more than anything. Now if you look closely at our text, we're not just there to be a soldier, or Timothy's not just to be a soldier, but what? What does it say? But be a good soldier. That word good is one who is excellent, who is admirable. The seriousness of a good soldier declares that this is not a simple game, but a war. And so, after this this verse, we see Paul making one point with three examples. Not three points. He's making one point with three examples. Here are the examples, soldiering, athletics, and farming, all call for great commitment, great focus, and great sacrifice. All examples are not easy, right? You can't just choose to be one. Don't don't go into your home groups asking, hey, what would you be, an athlete or farmer or soldier? It's not the path of least resistance. We're called to be All. We can't just get by the, in the Christian life. It's going to be messy. It's going to be difficult. Therefore, let's look closely more at these examples. First, a soldier, which is really a single-minded Christian one, who has one aim. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The thought here is focused. One aim, one goal, I mean, soldiers are soldiers twenty four seven. Christians are Christians twenty four seven. We live in a world where, soldiers live in a world where they they don't get entangled. We shouldn't be involved in things that that distract us from the ultimate goal. That distract us from the war. Distract us from the from the battle. Look, I understand, we, we, have to, we have to work, we have to take care of our families, but at the end of the day, we have one focused goal, just like the good soldier, and that is pleasing God. Do the everyday tasks that you have to do, but don't get caught up in them. Next, we see the athlete, which really is a disciplined Christian, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Paul speaks about athlete in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 25 to 27. He says this, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You know, ancient athletes who competed in the Olympiad had to re- had to complete a required ten month training period, and swear an oath that they had done that. You know, I played basketball in high school, and the first three months of practice uh, before basketball season even started, we never touched the basketball. My coach called it conditioning. It was just to condition our bodies for the season. So we never touched the ball. All we do is run and run and keep on running and lifting weights. Right? We were just training before we even stepped foot on the court so that our, our bodies would be ready for the long season, the long overhaul of a season. Essentially, the Christian's training ground is his whole life, his or whole life, his or her whole life but it also includes some type of gospel suffering. A Christian conditioned by such dedication will be able to sustain suffering. There is a single wholehearted discipline in being a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Third, we see the hardworking Christian or the farmer. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. You know, farming is hard work, I've never farmed myself. i am just read about it. So um, I did talk to Dennis, and he would tell me stories about the Baraga farm. Um, But especially in the first century, farmer's farmers life, I mean, this is what the farmer's life entailed. Early and long hours because they could not afford to lose time. Constant toil. There's plowing, sowing, tending, weeping, reaping, storing. There's probably disappointments at times. Battling weather and pest. In addition, it also took a lot of patience, right? Things don't don't grow overnight. And so the metaphor here really puts into perspective the work of gospel ministry. And the work of gospel ministry will wear you out sometimes. There is blood, sweat, and tears involved at times. You know, in a ministry when you're pouring your life into people, it takes a lot of hours. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of patience. There will be a lot of disappointments. And sometimes we we know the outcome. Sometimes it's good, and sometimes there's no outcome at all. You know, when I used to disciple students as an intern, uh, I found out the hard way that some people either don't change, it takes a long time, and at times they'll hate you or they hated me, I mean there were times where where Thay and I we would we'd would stay late after after youth group ended and we would answer all the questions about the Bible. Sometimes we'll stay till 11 12 a.m. we're just answering all these questions because people had questions, right? It made me maybe good, not good, but maybe better at Q&A time, I guess you could say. But they, they would always have all these questions and we would go home exhausted from ministry. You know, we wonder, you know, if it if they're even going to change. And some people would ask me, how is it ministering to students? And the answer is, I don't know. You need to ask me in about 10 years. Because sometimes the fruit doesn't appear right away. Sometimes it doesn't appear until they leave high school. Or get a career, or get a family. Unfortunately, I mean, I've seen the worst things happen. Where people were just... They were never saved, and they just walked away from the Lord. But there's also times where they and I have experienced joy, and we'll talk to young students, or students who are old now, and are just in their college careers, and and they're just clinging to Christ. I mean, that's where God's sovereignty is really a delight. You don't rest on yourself to make sure people's lives change and bear fruit. God can only do the work in their hearts. We're just called to be the farmer. We're called to wait patiently, but to put in the long hours, to minister to our people. With all this said about enduring suffering together for the gospel, it seems like it's pretty chaotic. Some might ask, what about a quiet life? This seems a a little too hard. I just just want a quiet life. I mean, 1 Thessalonians, what does it say 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11. I'm quoting for the KJV, King James, and that you study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. The question is, can the Christian life be quiet at times? yes. But I think it is during the quiet times in life that it's during the quiet times in life that allows us to reflect and be ready for battle again. So there will be quiet times, but use those times to reflect on God and to prepare for the gospel suffering once again. The ministry of the gospel requires focus. It requires strain and struggle and diligence. If you follow these examples that Paul puts in front of us, you'll be able to handle suffering better. And the the reward is worth it in the end gateway. The reward is eternal joy in God. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the... In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Friends, your labor is not in vain. You teach Sunday school. You counsel. You teach home groups, small groups. You disciple other people. You teach your families at home. Your labor is not in vain. And it's important that we understand Paul's point in this message. And so we conclude... With our last point this morning, is to think over the gospel. This is the last imperative in this passage: is to think, think over what I say, so the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Paul is saying to Timothy to reflect on what he just wrote, to chew on this, to meditate on what is being said here. He wanted Timothy to think over the grace of Christ. He wanted Timothy to think over the sharing of the gospel to others from generation to generation. This task was going to be in Timothy's hands. Lastly, to think over the hardship of suffering together for the sake of the gospel. We see these imperatives here along with the examples. It had to be clear to Timothy that God was going to use him to entrust the gospel to others. And maybe some of us wonder how Timothy really used these things that Paul wrote to him. I mean, can you imagine receiving a letter commanding and warning you of all these things? The good news is that we have the good deposit in our hands today. Therefore, God has always protected his word. Let me put things into perspective as we come to a close. And someone say in Hebrews... Some would say that Hebrews was written around the same time or years after 2 Timothy was written. And so at the end of Hebrews chapter 13, it says this Hebrews 13, verse 23. It said, You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. You know, this points to Timothy's release from prison it points to Timothy in fact suffered imprisonment and it'd be safe to assume that Timothy had the time to think over Paul to think over what Paul was saying and he understood the task at hand in the end the young and timid Timothy was a good soldier of our Lord Jesus Christ Friends, I I encourage you to think over this passage today. Some questions. Are you strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Are you teaching yourself? Are you learning about the gospel? Are you making sure that you're teaching the pure gospel in your home, in your community, in your church? Are we preparing to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ, enduring suffering for the sake of the gospel? Enduring suffering for the sake of the gospel. Let me ask. Let me tell you something. Endure suffering for the sake of the gospel, because the gospel eliminates eternal suffering. Think over these things. Let me conclude. Conclude here. I know we're kind of celebrating um, the Protestant Reformation or Reformation Sunday. And so, if you if you read if you know anything about church history, if you dig a little deeper. In the year 1517, there's a lot going on around, around Europe. In the south, there's was, there was wars going on, right? And, and in, in the east, uh, there's a little chaos going on. And so, if you, if you like I said, if you dig deep, you'll, you'll read some of these things, or you'll maybe be taught some of these things. But around the country of Europe, there's all these things going on, and you could just see God's hand at work. He was keeping everyone busy, busy. He was keeping the Roman Catholic Church busy. And all these little wars were going on. And in Germany, there is this man, this unknown man, by the name of Martin Luther, who is was, who was teaching, or studying and teaching Romans. And so he was an Augustinian monk. And basically, in reading Romans, his eyes were opened to the justification of faith. I and mean, he read Romans 117. And he just, he dug deeper into that word. And basically, that's why we had the Reformation today. The Reformation really is the recovery of the good deposit, the gospel. It was a moving away of Roman Catholicism. And if you remember in Paul's, Paul's imperative in verse two, you know, church history is a proof that faithful men had entrusted the gospel time and time again. And he'll continue to do it No matter what, let us pray. Father, we know, Lord, that your word will continue. That man will fade, but your word will continue forever and ever. You will use whomever, whatever circumstance to guard the good deposit so that others will be able to teach this word. Lord, we know that you could make a crooked man draw a straight line. So we know, Lord, that we trust in your sovereignty that your gospel will continue. And as a church, that we never stray away from the gospel, that our pastors and our elders will continue to preach the word faithfully and teach the word. Lord, we are thankful for the people here who disciple one another, who disciple their families, who teach the word of God within the context of the church. And more importantly, Lord, that we know as a church we will not suffer alone, but we will suffer together for the gospel. We thank you, Lord, just for the reminder that we ought to be courageous, especially in times that we're living in. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.